Welcome to our podcast, Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're going to break down the fourth episode of Star Trek Lower Decks called Moist Vessel. For this episode, we'll summarize the plot and then discuss our impressions of the show. We'll end our podcast with the most recent Star Trek news. But before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched the episode yet, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. However, rest assured, we will not divulge any of the many jokes or Star Trek (laughs) reference gags in the episode. So that those moments will be fresh for you when you do get a chance to see it for yourself. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis. Okay, so uh, instead of providing a cold opening as has been done in previous episodes, Moist Vessel provides an exposition scene for the plot of the story at the beginning of the show via a log entry by Captain Freeman. Um, The Cerritos and its starship sister ship, the the Merced, have been ordered to tow a generation ship to a Federation star base where it can be studied. Along with the entire crew in stasis, the ship contains a unique fluid that generates life from inorganic material. Um, Starfleet believes such a substance could be used for its own desires to terraform planets for future colonization projects. Now, Mariner rudely disrupts a briefing meeting Captain Freeman is holding with Captain Durango, the Tellarite captain of the Merced. Incensed by Mariner's insolence, she takes Commander's ransom advice to assign her daughter to the worst jobs on the ship to get Mariner to request a transfer. However, the plan backfires when Mariner finds a way to turn these dreaded assignments into fun. I mean, she's pretty creative in regards oh, yeah, to how definitely. she turns them into a lot of fun. And actually, it's good for the crew, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she gets other people involved in it, yeah. So Captain Freeman then tries another tactic she's sure will result in the desired outcome. She promotes Mariner to lieutenant and makes her a senior officer so that she'll have to endure all the mundane responsibilities expected of someone of that rank, whether on or off duty. As expected, Mariner hates it and seems to be nearing her breaking point when a situation occurs that threatens the ship and the lives of her crew. Captain Durango allows this to get the best of him. That is... And, and that is arrogance. That is characteristics of the Tellarites. His self-esteem is hurt by the impression that he couldn't complete this assignment without the assistance of the Cerritos. Incensed by this perception, he orders his helmsman to position the Merced closer to the generation ship, thereby creating a more intense pull from their tractor beam on a specific section of that derelict ship. The maneuver causes a section of the ship's hull to come off, exposing the terraforming fluid to be pulled toward the Merced and Cerritos by the way of their tractor beams. 
Since the substance changes inert matter into inorganic into organic matter, the two ships will soon become uninhabitable because their life support systems will become inoperable as the ship transforms to this new organic property. Mariner and Freeman conclude that they need to get to the environmental controls in order to have a chance at reversing the transformation of the ship into organic matter. Bickering all the way, the two women finally agree on a solution that also forces them to admit to an admiration of each other's skills. After reversing the conditions of the Cerritos, they save the entire crew of the Merced as well by transporting them to the generation ship's stasis chamber. Both Captain Freeman and Mariner receive commendations for their actions. However, when Mariner realizes Freeman now wants her to remain as a senior officer, the new lieutenant commits another act of insubordination to get herself demoted back to Ensign so she can enjoy life as a crew member of the Lower Decks once again. Now the subplot focuses on Ensign Tindy, who excitedly joins a group of crew members who meet in the quarters of Lieutenant O'Connor, who claims he will ascend into a higher being after years of studying the spiritual practices of various species. However, during a ceremony, Tendi accidentally ruins O'Connor's sand mandala, and he now claims he is unable to ascend. During the turmoil caused by the crisis with the terraforming fluid, Tendi saves O'Connor from drowning. The lieutenant then confesses he had only adopted the ruse of a spiritual seeker so others would like him. Since Tindy shares similar insecurities about the way others perceive her, she claims to that the, the two must now be best friends. O'Connor then saves Tindy from death by pushing her out of the way of a falling rock that has formed in the ceiling above them. After the threat is averted, they kiss, triggering the transformation in him. He floats away from her and starts to heat up and glow as he's turned into a being of pure light. Although unlike in other representations of such transformations, the process seems to be quite painful for O'Connor, and he begins to object going through it uh, to the point of ascension. A, a dimensional portal opens up above him. He sees the universe is balanced on the back of a giant smiling koala, and just as he comprehends the secret of life, O'Connor dissipates, his boots dropping to the floor as the only thing remaining of him. So now let's move to the general analysis. Overall, we felt that the series delivered another solid episode. To us, the characteristic of a good episode is the ability to experience multiple viewings and still be entertained. This episode certainly met that criterion. Another observation is that the writing staff do not let the fact that they are writing for a comedy get in the way of allowing the Cerritos to be involved in critical life and death circumstances. So Gary, why don't we just start talking about the primary characters? Okay, all right. 
In this episode, let's begin with Lieutenant slash Instant Mariner, since she goes through a promotion and a demotion. The A-plot centralizes the conflict between Mariner and her mother, Captain, now Carol Freeman, because we learned that in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the entire crisis, the two women allowed their personal differences to influence their effectiveness to save the ship. The conflict becomes a proxy argument for their relationship as mother and daughter. What this episode also makes clear to me is that Mariner's issues with authority and Starfleet command isn't about Starfleet so much as it is uh, really about her relationship with her parents, specifically in this case, her mother. Um, this is some. This is something that I wouldn't have thought we would have at the core of a Star Trek show, but I really like this approach of looking at this family and the engagement at, at both for the humor of it as well as for the opportunities for drama. Another observation that I had about Mariner is that it became clear to me how much she and Freeman have in common. I mean, they both are intelligent individuals who are capable of using their experiences and knowledge to come up with the appropriate solution in, in most situations. But Mariner's opposition to listening to her mother seems to stem from a lifetime of having been second-guessed by her on every decision that she must have made. I mean, we can only guess that that has caused her to react the same way in other positions with other authority figures. The perfect example is in last week's episode, how she responded to Commander Ransom. It's also the reason I think we find that it was disrespect that she finds it easy to be disrespectful of other officers, regardless of their rank. In this episode, she does that twice. She does that with Captain uh, Durango, and she also does that with the Admiral that comes in at the end. Yeah. So uh, now I want to turn our attention to talking about Captain Carol Freeman. As she did in episode three, Captain Freeman once again figured prominently in the pro- in this plot. I'm glad we're getting to know more about her. However, this episode displayed another side of the captain. The episode demonstrated there is more to being a senior officer than, than dealing with exciting or challenging missions. The day-to-day activities of a starship are quite mundane. To keep up the morale of the ship, one must have the maturity to endure activities that one may not want to experience, such as holding back on inconsequential criticisms, uh, <laughs> discussions about chair designs, talent shows, and monotonous poker games. Mariner can be brilliant, but she still lacks the maturity her mother uh, understands are essential to the overall operation of a starship. We also learned that Captain Freeman has the ability to scat in, right, in right. jazz. So who knew that was coming down the pike? Exactly. exactly. Last, let's talk about Incent Tindy. Last episode, we said we hoped more attention would be given to Tindy, and we got it. However, it played out on the already established idea that she desperately desires to be liked by everyone. 
that was the that was funny the first time, but the joke is getting a little stale after only four episodes. I mean, we really do not learn much more about her. That's the problem. Um, the subplot was only mildly humorous, but also revealed a missed opportunity. Tindy isn't Orion, but thus far we've learned nothing more about her culture in the four episodes that's been broadcast. I mean, how does her identity? play into her need for affirmation from others and not to be sexist, but specifically men, since we know that that's an element of the Orion culture that, and in fact, I'm trying to figure out how an Orion becomes a member of Starfleet anyway. I think this is an untapped mind for both comedy and story potential. If we, if, and, and I think if the writers would take some time to explore the Orion culture, they might find something of interest. Yeah. And the reason why I feel this way is because the Orions are one of the legacy species from the original series that hasn't really had that much careful examination across the series. You know, I'm suggesting something similar to how the Enterprise really expanded our knowledge about Andorians when they introduced the character of Commander Shran. Or how we got a stronger, broader understanding of the Cardassians with Dakot, Bajorans in DS9. I mean, these. this is the way I'm hoping that they're going to be going with this character. It would. I think it might make it much more entertaining. Yep. All of those characters became more compelling after the writers took the opportunity to for us to learn about their heritage and traditions as compared to those of humans. And I think the writers of Lower Decks should use this opportunity to create a fuller picture of the Ryan culture through Tindy's character. I know we're on, only on the fourth episode, but look at how much more we've learned about Mariner and Captain Freeman in only four episodes. Otherwise, if we don't go down that track, her, the fact that she's an Orion is going to become irrelevant yeah, rather quickly, you know, really quite easily. Yeah. Well, I'll, now let's talk about our favorite Easter eggs of the show. Uh, for me, um, I, the moment I heard uh, Ensign Boimler uh, say Achi Machi, I said, wait a minute, I definitely <laughs> heard that before, and then I thought about it. So, early in the episode, remember the instant Boimler happily exclaimed, Hachi Machi, when he learns of his work assignment. This exclamation is a reference to the primetime 90s animated series, The Critic, which only lasted 23 episodes. Uh, this short-lived show revolved around the life of New York Times critic Jay Sherman and was voiced by comedian John Lovitz. Although it received mixed reviews when it aired during the 1994-1995 season, the show has more recently garnered far better praise in recent years. And it seems as if it has some fans on this show. Right, you know, obviously. Because otherwise, otherwise nobody would be using hachimachi right. anywhere in the, in the, in the right. dialogue. Right. Okay, so my Easter egg is when Tendi tells Incent Rutherford how excited she is to witness an ascension. Rutherford doesn't understand what that means. So she has to explain that 
a crew member aboard the ship will evolve and become a being of pure energy. And eventually, uh, Rutherford comprehends by comparing it to two reoccurring similar characters we were introduced to on The Next Generation. Q, as well, and, and The Traveler. And the Q is widely remembered, whereas I think most, I mean, most fans know the, tr- the Traveler, but if you're new to Star Trek, The Traveler was introduced in an episode um, in the first season, actually episode six, um, which was titled Where No One Has Gone Before. And it's about him being able to allow them to use a different form of trans, of, of, of travel um, as opposed to warp drive. Um, he also returned in the series in season seven, episode 20, to pick up Wesley Crusher and take him on a grand adventure throughout the universe, which was called Journey's End. Yeah, but we know that I think I think he's back in the crew for Nemesis. Adele, he was he was on he was at uh, uh, Riker and um, Troy's wedding. Wedding, yeah, yeah. So, so we he was back. He was back from his journey. From Let's his just journey, right, right. Yeah. So he didn't stay out there. Not forever. Yeah. So <laughs> and that and that reminds me of you know another point. Yes. So with this episode is that when O'Connor disappears and nobody mentions that, like nobody says, wow, we lost a crew member. And in this case, because he was screaming as he left and he was like definitely changing his mind about going. <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I did think I, I did think that part of the B plot was pretty funny. Yeah, that was funny and it was unexpected <laughs> yeah. because usually they ascend and you go, oh wow, they're going to a better place. But at this time, yeah. it didn't it was look a, like. It was a difficult process. It was a difficult process. Yeah, right. and, and so in this episode, the two characters that were were the, in, in the lower deck of the importance right. were obviously Boimler, who basically was there whining about not, why did Mariner get a promotion and he didn't? And Rutherford was only in the background. Oh he, yeah, he you you can't even say that he was a secondary character. No, I mean, no, no, was, no, 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 no. I mean, anybody could. Well, he's by. he's the character that Tindy talks to. She talks to him right. originally about being excited about going to see the Ascension, right. and then she, he's the one she explains what happens to O'Connor. Right. So in both cases, he's just a sounding board for right. Her. That's it. Okay, so um, we just have one bit of Star Trek news this week. Which is? And, and it's about Star Trek Discovery. Now, in the United States, uh, CBS plans on airing season one of Star Trek Discovery, the whole season, on its network. Um, so it's going to begin at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Thursday, September 24th. What do you think is the likelihood that that might draw any new fans oh i think it definitely will i think it definitely will draw new fans because you know and i I think they're also taking advantage of the moment you know we have they don't have a lot of programming well they're they need content and the other thing is is that when you think about that you know the democratic uh, nominee for vice president is a woman Mm -hmm. a, a black woman i think they're taking advantage of the fact that you know the voice of black women have 
been raised in prominence this year uh-huh. and that um oh well here's a series starring a black woman why don't you look at it so hmm. i think i think it's also a calculated move well i would hope that i i would try to encourage them to do both the first and the second season you would like to because see i think that that might play out better for them across you know if you want to build audience specifically if you want to build an interest in people getting the subscription for season three or or the rest of the star trek um offerings they have on cbs all access well what what i saw that they're doing is um so they're gonna do the the whole first season Mm -hmm. on the network but on cbs all access you can um get all access free for a week Mm. and so and and they have in the description oh binge season two right 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 so that's their so so they're trying to get you hooked with season one you binge season two and then they hope that you're going to buy the subscription well that's interesting because we now know that viacom cbs is looking at an international uh, streaming service, right, right, and so they're gonna they're gonna attempt to be in competition with Netflix and Amazon, right, very Prime very soon. So yeah, so that ought to be interesting. See what happens. Yes. Okay. okay. So in closing, we'll be back next week with a review of episode five of Lower Decks, which will put us halfway through the season. Yep. Um, and so, but until that time, like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on Twitter, on Facebook, and at our website, StarTrekAOD.net, where we have additional um, articles on Star Trek canon and other sidebar issues and aspects of the show. Also, you can email the show at StarTrekAOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.